Welcome to Made in Britain, the podcast series for Make UK with a special emphasis on Brexit. Today we're going to be looking at investment by British industry. Brexit has hit it hard and much investment, which has taken place, has actually been spent on stockpiling. But what should you be investing your money in to take advantage of Brexit? Seamus Nevin is Chief Economist at Make UK. I started by asking him whether recent falls in business investment mean that when Brexit actually happens, there will be an investment boom as delayed decisions are actually finally made. Absolutely. I I think if you look at the performance uh, of investment across the business sector for the last couple of years, it's been quite uh, disruptive. It's been uh, quite tumultuous in terms of in the first quarter of this year, for example, we saw uh, skyrocketing um, uh, investment, but largely to do with stockpiling in preparation for the then expected EU exit date of, of March 29th and then April 12th. After that, business investment went almost cold turkey. There was al- almost none. So it was a massive collapse, and we've seen that kind of continue on in recent times. And what that suggests is, is that there's an awful lot of uncertainty and businesses feeling unsure about whether it is worthwhile or indeed safe to invest in something right now, not knowing what the future trade relationships of this country will be with the rest of the world in only a couple of months' time. Um, But we also know that there are lots of people uh, chomping at the bit, trying to get involved in in new deals and and, and new uh, opportunities. And there's a lot of plans uh, being put in place so that when there is that uh, eventual clarity about our future trade relationships, businesses will be able to get back into spending. I think the key thing to remember, though, is that it won't be straight away. The production cycle, the investment cycle in manufacturing is quite lengthy, so it'll probably mean that there will be a six to nine month delay before businesses feel that certainty again to be able to start investing. But once they do, I would expect to see a significant uptick and increased growth again, thankfully, uh, after a long period of of kind of delayed and stagnant investment, um, which has really done us down. And you could divide the kind of investment we're likely to see into two bits. The first will be how to cope with Brexit. What kind of things would companies be clever to put their money into for that scenario? Well, I think there's uh, a couple of different approaches that, that companies are taking. I mean, the first one is that they're just cutting back on un- unnecessary spending, so discretionary spending that they might otherwise have made. They're holding off on just to make sure that they have some money in the kitty for emergencies, if needs be, uh, in future. And we've seen that borne out, for example, in the employment statistics. Recruitment has really stagnated over the last couple of years. Firms reluctant to take on extra staff unless uh, they know um, uh, that they're going to be able to, to continue to employ them uh, for the long term. So where they have been taking on staff, it's been typically short-term contracts, people that are, are only being brought in for a short period of time and that there's no commitment uh, to retain them. So, so that's one side of things. The other side of things is looking for new markets elsewhere. So we know that this whole Brexit idea is partly to do with trying to increase our global trade. And that's something that I think British businesses have throughout history been very, very good at. Wherever there is business to be done, there are British firms uh, selling their goods. Um, but we want to do more of that. And I think there has been an increased focus, particularly among smaller firms who maybe haven't done quite as much international trade in the past, about getting their head around what is involved, understanding the legislation, the various paperwork barriers that they need to go through, sourcing new markets. One of the problems, unfortunately, is that until there is clarity uh, on what our future trade relations will be, it is proving very difficult to get other companies in other countries to engage with us in the way that they might have done in the past because they are equally uncertain um, in the same way that British firms are too. Okay, so if you're a British firm and you have to think about the worst uh, possible scenario of Brexit, what would you be putting your money into? 
That's a very tricky question because it really depends on what sector you're in. If you're talking about manufacturing as a whole, you know, there are some companies who are, for example, in aviation where their production cycles are quite long term. So it can be eight, nine, ten years at a time. And they're able to sit back and, 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 and relax a little bit more than others because they know that they have order books right now that are going to last them for several years and the prices that, that are being paid for those are already priced in. So they're fairly safe until uh, a few years down the road when they might have to make changes, but they can sit back and relax and just wait and see. Others with a much shorter um, uh, life cycle in terms of, of how they produce um, are, are finding it much more difficult because we've seen foreign customers um, reducing their, their, their custom uh, in, with UK firms. We've seen firms losing order books to foreign competitors because international uh, customers are no longer buying as much as they once did from the UK. And where that's happening, we've seen some companies relocate, some companies scale down their production. Increasingly, and perhaps encouragingly, um, a lot of companies are looking at what they can do instead. So are there products that are maybe less susceptible to uh, disruptive changes that might come in the regulatory environment after we leave the European Union? Are there new things that they can make? So for example, I've spoken to uh, automotive firms, uh, companies that, that make various components that go into the supply chain to make uh, aeroplanes in Wales and also some firms in, in Cornwall as well who are now looking at getting into um, um, automotive, so looking at, at, at making things for cars instead of planes because it's a similar type of product, there are different regulations, but it's maybe less uh, likely to be disrupted by uh, the eventual EU exit, no matter what shape that takes. And there must be some companies that are probably um, thinking about investing in supply and logistics because if things get more difficult uh, after Brexit, then they're going to have to be better at it. Yeah, they are. And actually, this has been one of the, the big opportunities when you take a longer term perspective about Brexit is that firms have had to get a much better understanding of where their products come from, what their supply chain is, getting to know their business partners in new ways. Um, because we have had a, 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 a history uh, in the UK of people maybe knowing their tier one supplier. So who do I get my goods immediately from, but not necessarily knowing where they get their goods from. So supply chain mapping has been something that has been done across the board. And what it has done is it has increased an understanding throughout the supply chain of where goods come from and where they're going to. And, and thankfully, that has uh, improved, if uh, led to efficiencies in terms of delivery and, and what have you, but also improved some of the products that are being made because people have a better understanding of what they're being ultimately used for. The other benefit of that is that that has been communicated to business and has improved business policy making understanding within government because they now have a much better understanding of the integrated nature of global supply chains and how it affects UK producers. So I think in the longer term, that's going to be uh, to stand us in good stead when we look to, to reform reg uh, legislation, when we look to improve business investment um, incentives in the UK and also just production generally amongst the business community. And do firms have to do more about training and things like that because of the the flow of um, well-trained, well-qualified Europeans is likely to be disrupted? Well, this is, I mean, even before Brexit, the skills gap was probably the number one concern for businesses across the board. And it has continued to be uh, a top concern throughout all of this period, because no matter who you are, no matter where you, you sell your goods to, you need skilled people. The best asset for any company is their workforce. Um, thankfully, in the UK, we have a manufacturing sector that invests a huge amount uh, through things like the apprenticeship levy, but also generally in on-the-job training, etc. Um, so that's something that we want to see continue. Of course, there are big concerns about 
losing access to that international pool of talent, not just because of the immediate effect that they would have in terms of the direct loss of, of, of competent skills and technical skills that people need for specific job roles, but also because by bringing in people from overseas, you bring in new ideas, new ways of doing things, and that helps boost productivity in the UK as well, and, and we all benefit from that. So we, we are very clear, and our members have been very clear throughout all of this process, that we want to strike a balance. There needs to be a recognition that part of the, the Brexit uh, backlash was a desire to reduce in, uh, immigration and increase control, but at the same time, we have to strike the right balance and make sure that the people that we do need uh, to come in can continue to do so in a timely and effect, efficient way so that businesses can get access to the kinds of skills that they need while they're making those longer-term investments in training British people to do those jobs in the future too. So there are benefits to Brexit. I mean, companies have, have had to make different decisions, but they, do you think they're making better decisions? I would hope that they are making better decisions. I think one of the things that we need to recognize about the, the business community, generally speaking, is that business people are entrepreneurial by nature. They look for opportunities to make money. And no matter what is going on in the global economy or in global politics, they are always looking for new ways to sell uh, their goods, new uh, markets that, that they can enter. And that has continued. It's be, been very difficult for the last couple of years because of that economic and political uncertainty. But there is no less appetite amongst British businesses to sell their goods overseas and to make money. One factor I do know, because I did the, the story not so long ago, is foreign investment has fallen quite dramatically in the UK. I mean, if you were a foreign company that wants a Europe-wide base, putting money in the UK is not what you're going to be doing at the moment, is it? Yeah, I think one of the big comparative advantages that the UK has has played uh, in terms of our membership of the European Union for the last 40 years is that we have often been the first place that international companies look to invest when they're looking to dip their toe into the water of, of getting into the European market. That's often because of our strong regulatory environment, a, a good judicial system, a, a pro-business tax environment, uh, lots of business investment incentives, and a skilled workforce. Um, and we want to see that continue. Unfortunately, because of the uncertainty there is around Brexit and because of the, the, the headlines that this has raised across the world, a lot of those companies no longer feel as secure about investing in the UK, but it has also led to an increase in aggressive activity from countries throughout the rest of the EU looking to poach businesses that are currently in the UK or businesses that might be looking uh, to invest in the UK and getting them to move to, to other parts of the EU as well. And that's increasing competition. It's making it, it much more difficult for us to retain those, those businesses. And we've seen some of them already relocate either in part or in whole uh, to the European Union because of that. Um, but it's not something we want to see long term. And, and we need to make absolutely clear that no matter what happens on the Brexit front, Britain is still open for investment. We are still a great place to do business. We still have all of those strong fundamentals in terms of the skilled workforce and in terms of the, the pro-business tax environment, a strong re regulatory environment that are the bedrock of good innovation and, and good business investment. So we are still a very attractive place for people to invest. And it's just about getting that message across. Seamus Nevin ending on a high note. Thank you to him for his expertise and to you for listening to Made in Britain, a podcast by me, John T. Bloom, for Make UK.